Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. Actress Selma Blair revealed in a recent interview with British Vogue that her multiple sclerosis diagnosis, say that three times fast, in 2018 was the result of symptoms that have been misdiagnosed and ignored for over 40 years. Now Selma Blair is an advocate for accessibility and awareness and even urged her friend Christina Applegate to make the appointment that would eventually lead to her own MS diagnosis. Today I'm here with Dr. Anuradha Singh, a neurologist with Hackensack Meridian Health. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Singh. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk a little bit about MS diagnoses and basically, you know, how something like this could happen in terms of being misdiagnosed. In the article, it mentions that Christina Applegate initially dismissed all of her symptoms, right? And just kind of through them to being related to work and overworked. What are some common misconceptions or early signs that might lead individuals to overlooking those symptoms of MS? Yeah, so the most common um, symptoms of MS or early MS is people can experience numbness or tingling in both of their legs, in one arm, one leg. Um, They can also get partial blindness or complete blindness of one eye or double vision or even weakness, weakness of one arm, one leg. And I think what happens in a lot of cases of MS, the symptoms eventually get better. They can start to resolve in a few days over a few weeks. Um, That's one form of, of MS, the most common kind uh, type of MS. Um, so because the symptoms tend to get better over a period of time, people will attribute it to other things, whether it's stress or work or, you know, just other things going on in life. And because it it's usually remitting or it doesn't come back for a period of time, they don't think really anything of it. Um, but If that happens, particularly if your symptoms are lasting for longer than 24 hours, you should be evaluated um, by a physician. Well, I mean, I feel like if you're going blind or (laughs) you can't see, I feel like that's a really big symptom that you should probably see a doctor for. I agree. Um, What a lot of people will complain of, though, is maybe a little bit of blurring in their vision or even pain with visual movements. And I had a patient the other day who said that she she wears fake eyelashes and she thought she just like got some of it into her eye, whether it was from the glue or the eyelash itself. So she didn't think anything of it. So she actually waited a week or two before she was seen by a doctor because she just thought the symptoms were going to go away. And she was having pain with eye movements and blurry vision. Um, So it wasn't until she saw her ophthalmologist that her ophthalmologist was like, you need to be seen by a neurologist. Um, So that's how that happened. But yeah. Wow. So it is a lot more common than you think. I mean, today's world, I feel like everyone is wearing fake eyelashes or eye extensions or, you know, maybe working on a car and getting something in their eye and thinking, oh, well, if I wash it out, it's fine. Yeah. So like I said, if the symptoms are, you know, lasting for more than 24 hours, then you should be evaluated by a physician. It could be a number of different things that are causing it, but you should be evaluated by a healthcare provider. Yeah, absolutely. So how is then MS diagnosed? So you mentioned how this woman in particular 
I'm going to bring her up now the whole time. That's so why. sorry. <laughs> How she went to an ophthalmologist because she felt like something was wrong with her eye. And then he said to go to a neurologist. What were the next steps in terms of getting her diagnosed? Yeah. So the first thing we do is we take a very careful history and we do a physical exam. Sometimes, you know, when you go back in their history, they think of other things that may have happened before the presenting um, neurologic symptoms. So you may find out that they had another episode prior on or they may not have. So taking a good history is important and then doing a physical exam because again, you can pick up subtle things from a physical exam that might clue you into that there's something neurologic happening. Um, After that's done, if your suspicion is still concerning for multiple sclerosis, the next steps would then be to do MRIs or imaging. So multiple sclerosis can affect the brain, it can affect the spinal cord, um, and it can also affect the nerves that go to the eyes, the optic nerves. So it's important to get MRIs of those areas, particularly where the patient is complaining of their symptoms. And based off of their history, their exam, those MRI findings, we may need additional blood work and you may even need a spinal tap in in most cases, if not all cases, um, to kind of really uh, exclude other things because MS at the end of the day is also a diagnosis of exclusion. So you want to make sure that you're not misdiagnosing someone with multiple sclerosis when it could be something else. So once we gather all of this information, then we will diagnose multiple sclerosis and then um, talk about treatment options and what the next steps are. So when you're diagnosing, it's almost kind of like, all right, well, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. It has to be multiple sclerosis. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's the history and the exam findings are just very clear cut where it is probably your leading suspicion, um, but it is important to check for other things that can sometimes mimic or look like MS. Yeah, and I guess that's probably why Selma Blair went undiagnosed for so many years or misdiagnosed, I should say, because it could be a load of other things. Yeah, a lot of the the symptoms in MS, um, particularly the ones that are developed later on too, like fatigue. Um, People will have difficulties with speech, whether it's slurred speech or word finding abilities, um, problems with their memory, mood changes. Um, A lot of patients will have depression and anxiety on top of it, Um, muscle spasms. Um, Those things can be a little bit more nonspecific. So sometimes it's hard to tell whether is it something else that's causing it versus is this something that's related to multiple sclerosis. But MS can impact all of those things. Right, exactly. So you mentioned a little bit about treatment. How does that look? So this woman came in with her eye issues. She had all of her tests done. What does treatment look like? Yeah, so we have made such great advancements in the field of multiple sclerosis and neuroimmunology. Um, We have over 20 medications that are available, and they come in different forms. Um, They're pills, they're injection medications, um, as well as infusion medications. Um, They're all considered what we call disease-modifying therapy. Um, So as of right now, there's no cure for MS. Um, You know, there's a lot of... Yeah, it is unfortunate. There's a lot of research that's still, you know, ongoing and all of that, but we have no cure at the moment. So the medications that we have available are disease modifying. So the goal of them is to slow down the progression of the disease as much as possible and try to keep the patient as stable for as long as possible. Um, So I think we've made a lot of great strides because, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have all of these medications available. So a lot of people went untreated or they were treated with 
lower efficacy medications. But now we have a lot of options to choose from that we can accommodate into someone's lifestyle um, and then also something that's going to be effective for them. Yeah, so it kind of, you know, trial and error, figuring out what really works for them is, is a possibility. Yeah, every patient is different. Um, some patients respond really well to some medications. Um, so yeah, so we just kind of talk to the patient, see what their preference is. We look at things as to like how severe their disease is. If their disease is further progress and further along, we may recommend something on the higher end of the treatment options available. Um, but that's a conversation we have with the patient, and we kind of make that decision through our appointments and, and follow, follow-ups. Yeah, absolutely. Every patient is unique. They have a different treatment plan. So multiple sclerosis is known to have various degrees of progressions and symptoms mm-hmm. and things like that. How would you determine how sever- how the severity of MS has grown? Do you Are you able to determine that through MRIs or are you able to determine that through all the tests that you have you know because every patient probably sees you at a different point in their journey yeah so so yeah so what I look at when um, I talk to a patient is one what their recovery was so if they did have a clinical event or a neurologic episode how did they recover from that do they still have symptoms or did they completely go away Um, so that's part of the decision making and then also looking at their scans so what do or rather looking at their physical exam what you know what signs and symptoms am I picking up from that but then also looking at their MRIs do they have a a, what we call a high disease burden or a low disease burden do they have evidence of damage to their optic nerves do they have lesions in their spinal cord as well as their brain so we kind of look at all of those things and kind of determine where where they fall and how they prognosticate. Um, We also look at age, sex, um, all of those things kind of play a role. That's very cool. In terms of like, you're able to see how far along the patient is and it probably depends on how far along they are to what type of treatment they get. Mm -hmm. Christina Applegate also mentioned seeking alternative therapies in addition to her traditional medical treatment. What are some of those alternative therapies that you might use in conjunction with your standard medical care? Yeah, so um, there's a lot of complementary alternative medicines uh, that are out there. So food and diet is really um, important. Um, We usually recommend like a heart healthy, low salt diet, something like the Mediterranean diet. Now, there are a lot of diets that are being studied out there. there's research going into all of them so we can't really recommend one over the other but we do know that keeping a healthy diet is really important um smoking um not smoking (laughs) rather i should say not smoking is really important and trying to avoid secondhand exposure um but then also a lot of the alternative medicines we tell people can actually help their MS symptoms. So for instance, um, for my patients who have spasms um, or just like weakness, we usually will recommend different types of therapy. So aquatic therapy can be helpful. Um, some patients really benefit from yoga or Pilates. Um, so trying to incorporate all of these things into you know taking their medication and being compliant um, and keeping up with exercise and all of that is really important. Yeah, actually I do. I know I know a couple people actually that have MS and I know one of them, she goes to the gym very regularly and she says that this is kind of, you know, her therapy and what helps her. So, and even Christina Applegate mentioned that 
exercise has been a really big, important part of her routine when it comes to managing MS. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I tell all of my patients to try to exercise. Um, Multiple sclerosis, unfortunately, it makes people very fatigued and it makes people just feel weak overall and therefore they don't exercise as much as they should be. And it kind of creates this vicious cycle. So we try to encourage all of our patients very early on to try to keep as active as possible and just find something that works for you, whether it's yoga or Pilates or swimming um, or cycling, but um, find what speaks to you and go with that. Absolutely. And then would there be any sort of like extra vitamins that they would need to take or anything like that, that would help them in terms of their fatigue or anything like that? Yeah. So vitamin D, um, there's been a lot of research um, implying that low levels of vitamin D can impact um, the prognosis of multiple sclerosis so we usually i usually will check vitamin d levels and if they are low we'll recommend supplementation um there's new studies um suggesting that you may not need very high doses of it but it is something that we still check for um B12, vitamin B12 has also um, plays a role in neurologic health and function. So it's also something that I'll sometimes check just to make sure that they're not too low and that they're optimized at a good level. Yeah, I feel like those two vitamins are just things that people need overall, regardless yeah. <laughs> of their MS diagnosis. Yes, it is important to get them checked by your regular doctor, regardless. The article also mentions, you know, the importance of self-care and prioritizing oneself in the face of, you know, all of this kind of chronic illness and even in the medical field in general because I feel like Selma Blair was really advocating for herself to really figure out what was going on. What are some strategies that you can give to someone who might think that they have multiple sclerosis and their doctor just isn't, you know, getting them to where they need to be? Yeah, I mean, I think seeing a neurologist is always a good a good idea if you if you feel if you are advocating for yourself and you want um to to be evaluated for that reason um but i think you know talking to a healthcare provider making sure you know you're you're clear about what symptoms that you're having and kind of how long you've been having them and kind of what's been going on and then um you know some of the other symptoms we talked about are more non-specific so make sure you bring those up because you may not think it's relevant but it could be relevant um so like I like fatigue, spasms, things like that. Make sure you kind of give your physician a well-rounded picture of everything that has been going on. Yeah, absolutely. And then flipping, you know, onto the flip side of that, what about those caretakers? Because obviously their lives are going to change as well. What would be advice you could give to some of those guys watching their loved one go through this? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Um, it's definitely hard and I think mental health is really important um, for the caretaker as well as for the patient Um, so I think um, you know finding support groups are really helpful there's a lot of multiple sclerosis support groups for patients and for caretakers um, so that could really be helpful and a lot of my patients with multiple sclerosis will have mood disorders on top of it too. Um, So I always think it's a really good idea to reach out to a psychologist or something along those lines if you want something more individualized or if you want to bring, you know, a caretaker, a partner or whoever with you. I think that's always a good idea to kind of talk through things. Um, As I said before, I think a misconception about multiple sclerosis is people think of MS as an older woman sitting in a wheelchair with, you know, a severe degree of disability. Um, 
And I think now, because of all the advancements that we've made, I'm hopeful that with all of these new therapies that are out there, um, and now that we're recognizing and diagnosing multiple sclerosis earlier, I'm hoping that we can kind of change the face of what MS could potentially look like. So there is hope out there. Um, I always try to tell my patients, it's obviously a sad diagnosis and it is a lifestyle change and um, things will be different. Um, But you know, you work very closely with your neurologist and with your other team members. So your caretakers, your psychologist, your therapist, your physical therapist, et cetera, nutritionist, dietitians, um, whatever it is that you need to kind of create a well-balanced treatment plan going forward so that you feel your best. Yeah, and to really have a good support system there to make sure that you can feel your best at all times. Exactly. And then I did want to ask too, you keep mentioning all these advancements and research. Is there, you know, any new and cool clinical trials or studies that you can share about that you're very excited about? Yeah, so actually... um, Hackensack is there there are some clinical trials at Hackensack that we're doing over at the main campus um so there's a lot of new drugs um that are you know being um investigated and studied that are in phase two phase three trials um so that's really exciting that there will be even more options on the horizon um some of those trials um are available at Hackensack um there's also all this talk of like stem cell therapy and all of that so there's trials going on with that too um Um, So yeah, so there's a lot that's happening right now. Um, Unfortunate that we still don't have a cure, but hopefully that, you know, these new treatments make some progress in, in, in all of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's exciting too, because there's... There's just so much talk, and and I can't help but wonder if maybe Selma Blair really, you know, advocating and creating this awareness has really brought up a lot of these different things, and I feel like she really brought it to the forefront. Do you feel that it's been more, not popular, but you've seen more patients wondering I have about it. had more patients come in because... Um, asking more about treatment options. I think after watching like the documentary and um, with stem cells and things like that. So I do get a lot more patients who have more questions and are more kind of invested in like what's going on, which I think is important too. Um, There's also not just um, from Selma Blair too, but there's, you know, all these other places that have really good information that I always encourage patients to, to try to get to. So the National MS Society is a great place to start um they have a listing of all the medications alternative therapies um as well as support groups and how to find them how to find a doctor um and they usually will post research and all of that um up and coming research and all of that on the website so that's always a great place to start um finding a comprehensive ms center is also another good thing um because all of your resources will be there um so yeah so just Finding finding out all the information is really, really important. Getting it from good, reputable sources, too. And we have a comprehensive MS center, We right? do. Yes, we do. So um, I am currently um, mostly at JFK Medical Center, um, but I also go to Hackensack, um, the main campus, Hackensack University Medical Center, and there are also other MS specialists there as well. Very cool. Anything you want to share with our listeners about MS or something we didn't talk about? 
I think I think we covered most things. Um, but yeah, um, I'm just I'll just reiterate that I think it's important if you think something is going on to reach out to a physician to get a proper evaluation. And if you are diagnosed with MS, it is you know not a death sentence. It's something that we can work through together. Um, and yeah, we can find the best treatment option and lifestyle options um, for you. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here, Dr. Singh. Thank you for having me. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.